Welcome to Leaders Recon, where we discuss leadership, warrior skills, and other unique opportunities within the G3 Leader Development Branch. I'm your host, Joshua Carr, and today we're going to be discussing college tuition and how the National Guard has programs that help you pay for it. With us today is Zaida Jimenez and Don Sutton. Guys, welcome to the program. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think both of you spent some time in the military and then used your educational benefits at some point in time, correct? That is correct. So I was in the military for about seven years, active duty. I was oh, wow. stationed in uh, Germany and third ID in Savannah, Georgia. Okay. Yeah, and I recently retired with uh, 20 years in the uh, Army Guard. Oh, wow. What state were you from? Uh, I was in Idaho for 16 years and then with the D.C. National Guard for the last four. Okay, so a little bit of everything. And then you and you use your you use some of your educational benefits after you left the military. Is that correct? Yes, I exhausted my GI Bill um, pursuing my master's degree. Oh wow. Okay. So, as you probably heard, I, I know that it's um, you know, ask any recruiter, and it seems like one of the biggest draws for people joining the National Guard and you know, in the military at large, right, is the some of the educational benefits and programs that are out there. So. Without, you know, the sales pitch part of that, you know, what are some of these programs and how do they differ? Okay, so I would say that the National Guard has the most education benefits for soldiers, okay. comparing of all compost. Um, personally, uh, I manage the Federal Tuition Assistance and the okay. Credentialing Assistance Program. And they're two separate programs that um, help soldiers not only attain a, a college degree, but mm -hmm. also uh, obtain a credential. So you, have, so you have federal tuition assistant, you said, and yes. credentialing program, and then you manage... I manage the GI Bill programs, and we've got um, five different GI Bill programs that uh, soldiers have access to. Yeah, can you highlight some of those real quick, just for... Sure. Um, there's, so there's um, the, the GI Bill program that everybody thinks about, the big one on the table that's been around since 1985 is the Montgomery GI Bill. Okay. That's, that's kind of the basis for a lot of the GI Bill programs. Uh, Montgomery GI Bill is primarily for people who serve on active duty. Uh, these, there's a Montgomery GI Bill for the Selected Reserve as well. So if you're serving in the Reserves or in the National Guard, um, you can be eligible for that. There's the post 9-11 GI Bill. Um, that's the one that gets a lot of, a lot of press right now. Post 9-11, some people call it the Forever GI Bill. Um, they're all the same thing. Yeah, do you want to, can you kind of explain to me, because I'm naive, I'm sure that other people are as well. What are, what are some of the differences between that Montgomery GI Bill and the post 9-11 GI Bill? Some of the differences are how you become eligible, okay. what type of service makes you eligible for the program, and how the program pays you, and what everybody wants to know, how much it pays you. So for the active duty Montgomery GI Bill, um, we all call it Chapter 30, um, okay. that, for that one you have to have active duty service. So if you're in any one of the active components, um, if you are on the active guard reserve um, side in the guard reserves, you can become eligible for Chapter 30. It requires three years of service and you have to pay in $1,200 into the program to get started. And then it pays you, when you decide to go to school, it pays you a monthly rate. Uh, it comes directly to you. It doesn't go to your school. It doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere else. It goes right into your bank account. And okay. coming up, the, the active duty GI Bill rate will pay about $2,100, $2,200 a month. It's a little over $2,000 a month. Okay. And you can use that on whatever you need it. Housing, transportation, tuition, books, supplies, whatever you need it for. The Selected Reserve GI Bill is similar to the Active Duty GI Bill. These are both Montgomery GI Bill programs. Mm -hmm. um, 
But with the selected reserve GI Bill, you have to agree to serve six years in the reserves or National Guard. Um, with that six-year contract in the Guard, there's no buy-in. You don't have to pay anything for this. And right now, it, uh, coming up, it pays $397 a month if you're okay. going full-time. Same stipulations. You can use it for tuition, for books. I used the Selected Reserve GI Bill when I was, was doing the first part of my master's degree. Oh, really? And it paid for my parking pass and my lunches on campus. Um, because I was also using federal tuition assistance, so my tuition was covered. Uh, and then the post-9-11 GI Bill is the one that everybody's heard of. Um, that one is for service after um, September 11th, 2001. It's certain active duty reserve component service. And the payment structure is fairly complicated. Um, you get paid a, per a percentage tier, a percentage of the benefit, depending on how much time and service you have from qualifying service. And it goes everywhere from 90 days up to three years. And the payment also depends on what the tuition is at the school that you're attending, what the monthly housing rate is at the school that you're attending. And then there's also a book and supply stipend. So it's, it's a little more complicated to calculate, but the VA has some really good tools that will help you calculate what your payment could be. So before we dive into some of that, I know you mentioned you used your Montgomery GI Bill in, in association with your federal tuition assistance. You want to kind of give us a little bit of an you know, overview. Yeah, what is, okay. what is that? So federal tuition assistance covers uh, 16 semester hours per fiscal year, no more okay. than $250 per, per uh, credit. And you can use it for a mass, uh, for for a master's, a bachelor's, certificate, undergraduate, or certificate graduate. So you have to go through the digital platform goarmyet.com okay. to request the tuition assistance, and the school has to be listed in that um, in that digital platform. Okay. If it's not listed, then you cannot use federal tuition assistance. But you can use that in coordination with anything. Not really. Okay, so, not really. Can, yes. can you give us uh, some of the yes. disclaimers there? Yes. So tuition assistance can be used in combination with state tuition assistance, depending on the state. Okay. Some states allow it. Some states don't do not. Um, you can use it in combination with the Pell Grant. Um, usually, Pell Grant is applied first, and then mm -hmm. uh, sorry, federal tuition assistance is applied first, and then uh, the Pell Grant is applied later, so that if the soldier does qualify for uh, Pell Grant, he will get some money back. Okay. Um, as of when did they do the... It was 2014 the when they were restricted. Yes. Yeah. So in 2014, you remember he said that he used tuition, assist, uh, tuition assistance and... And my selected reserve GI Bill. Yes. So in 2014, there was a restriction imposed by Volad. Okay. Which is what he said. <laughs> so so uh, they imposed a restriction where you cannot use the, your GI Bill Selected Reserve with the federal tuition assistance. Now, Mr. Dunn-Sutton, thank you very much, and Mr. Hardy have fought that um, battle for about, you know, since 2014. And just now the decision got reversed. Now, it hasn't gone through bullet, from bullet to the VA to be implemented yet but it will be in the future where Selected Reserve, GI Bill, and Federal Tuition Assistance can be used again together. So, charting it out, I could use the post-9-11 GI Bill with Federal Tuition Assistance, yes. and in the future I'm going to be able to use the Montgomery GI Bill Selected, res reserve. selected reserve with Federal Tuition Assistance, yes. but not right now. Not right now. Not We're right. still working through the details on, on uh, how to get the, the, the uh, decision changed. Yes. So. You mentioned state programs as well. Yes. What are? I'm sure those all differ so, a lot. But what's you know? Where are some resources? I guess that 
so uh, some of the resources where you can find what state tuition assistance each state has would be nationalguard.com. Okay. Um, they would find every state and they have a, a kind of link to every state tuition assistance program that they have. Now, not every state have a state tuition assistance program, but most of them do. I would say 95% of the states okay. do. Because imagine if you're a state, you want to entice the soldiers that are around your state to join your state. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So they create these very good uh, state tuition programs that in combination with the Pell Grant and the, state, uh, the federal tuition assistance and the Montgomery GI Bill can be added to your education benefits. So we talked about some of the programs so far. Now diving into like eligibility for those programs. I know we highlighted on it. Can we run down real quick, you know, what are the eligibility requirements and, you know, in that tiered system I know that you mentioned for some of your programs? Okay, so for federal tuition assistance to qualify to be eligible for the program. Um, so Syria has to be uh, graduated from AIT, um, basic warrant officer course or basic officer leadership course. So. Okay graduated from basic training practically okay. and attending their school. They cannot be flagged or pending negative action and they have to have an account in GoArmyEd. Okay. So three things. What about, I know you said yours is a bit complicated. There, there are. Well, for the, for the Montgomery GI Bills, the active duty and the select reserve, there's three basic requirements for both of them. Okay. Um, you have to complete your high school diploma. You have to complete your initial entry training. Uh, and you have to have an honorable separation from all periods of service. And then additionally, for the active duty GI Bill, which, which are AGRs, Active Guard Reserve Personnel, are eligible for, um, you have to serve a minimum of two years on active duty um, for a partial benefit, three years for a full benefit. And then you have to pay $1,200 in to the system. But your return on investment is great because you pay $1,200 in and your first month of school, you're going to get over 2000 back. Wow. So it's so, a great investment. So on a side note there, kind of before we dive into some of the others, so for those soldiers who are in M-Day status, right, but they deployed, let's say, you know, two or three times already or served on some sort of uh, active duty tour somewhere, are they eligible? If They're not eligible for the Montgomery GI Bill on the active duty side okay. um, because that requires a single continuous period of service. I know... Uh, Early in the early 2000s, we did have some units who were going for extended tours of two and two and a half years. They could be eligible. Um, but at that time, the post 9-11 GI Bill didn't exist. Hmm. Now I think there's a, there's a better benefit for them to be eligible for. Okay. But for your traditional M-Day soldier who's just drilling and doing AT and, and is not deployed and, and uh, not in an active status with the Guard, they're still eligible for the Montgomery GI Bill Selector Reserve. Same three basic requirements, complete your high school diploma, complete your initial entry training, AIT and be MOS qualified, be qualified in your job, and then have an honorable separation from, from any period of service. So with, with, the, with the guard, it's a little bit easier because all you have to do is do your job in basic training and you get your honorable separation. Um, and then additionally, you have to agree to serve six years in the guard. Um, and then you're eligible to receive payment for that. Though, I guess those are the easy eligibility ones. The post 9-11 GI Bill is, is more complicated. It's a yeah. tiered system. You mentioned that, so it's a tiered system. Can you kind of go over what those tiers are? Sure. Um, so we use the term qualifying service. In the law, they use the word active duty and they define active duty 
to a limited set of, of authorities. And it gets a little confusing. So we like to use the term qualifying service. Okay. Um, so you have to serve at least 90 cumulative days in qualifying service to become eligible at the lowest level. And that could be 90 days serving one day at a time. It could be 90 days in a row. It could be three separate periods of 30 days. It doesn't matter how you accrue that 90 days. Uh, once you hit your 90th day of service, you become eligible at what we call the 50% payment tier. Okay. Um, a little bit later, we'll talk about what the payments are for post 9-11. But just okay. for now, just understand that it'll pay 50% of whatever you can be eligible for. Okay. And then... At six months or 180 days of service, you move to the 60% payment tier. You stay at 60% until you complete 18 months of qualifying service, and then you go to the 70%. And every six months of additional service, you move up by 10%. Once you have 36 months of qualifying service, you're at the 100% payment level, and you would get the full payment um, on all three of the post-9-11 GI Bill payments. So the takeaway is 90 days, I've got 50%. 90 days to get in the door, and the more you serve, the more you get. Exactly. And then up to, and at three years, I'm at 100%. Exactly. In the, no. in the National Guard, the average is 60%. Uh, most of our Guard members who are eligible for post-9-11 have, have one or two deployments that total are less than 18 months. So um, back to qualifying service, what, what is that defined as? So qualifying service is... a it's a little complex as well. Um, it's important to understand that that in the National Guard, we don't actually determine what qualifying service is, but we assist the VA. And okay. the VA is a final authority on what is qualifying service. But basically, it's active service in any active component, um, any of the DOD components, active duty, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, and I'm assuming the Space Force will come in there as well um, when they have an active duty established. Um, the... For the Guard and the Reserve, there are certain Title X authorities that you either deploy under or serve under that are qualifying. And I could go through the list of numbers, but it's really easier to, to just go to the VA website and look at the list of authorities. Because um, I could spout a lot of numbers, but it's probably going to be very confusing for me to say, you know, Title 32 or Title 10, Section 12301, Alpha Delta Golf Hotel, 12302, 12, so. And then there's, so there's certain Title 10 authorities, and then there's a couple of Title 32 or National Guard uh, drilling authorities that are eligible. If they're serving, if someone served an Operation Noble Eagle and during the 2001-2002 time frame, that was, that was one of our security missions right after 9-11. Um, if anyone has served on Operation Guardian Shield, the, uh, the border support mission, since February of 2019, that is qualifying service. And most recently, um, if you served on orders for the COVID-19 pandemic response uh, since March of this year, of 2020, that is also qualifying service. So for, for most of our soldiers out there that are trying to determine, like, is their service qualifying or not, can you explain what that is? Sure. Basically... In the National Guard, your, your AGRs will qualify. Um, they're considered active duty for, for post 9-11. Um, ADOS tours, full-time tours that are temporary full-time tours in general will not qualify. And that's, that's, a, point, that's a confusing point for some people because they feel like they're full-time and they are. Um, but that particular service currently doesn't qualify. But if you do a tour where you're supporting the missions from Operation Noble Eagle, the border support mission or the COVID-19 pandemic, 
those orders do qualify. Okay. Your typical drill weekends and AT periods don't qualify. We are working on that, um, so it can change, but as of, as of now, they do not. Also, um, if you're a regular drilling reservist and your unit gets called up and you deploy, your deployment will qualify. Okay, solid. So then looking at, so once you've determined, okay, I do qualify at whatever percentage, I have, let's go with 60%, you said was the average of my eligibility. How do we determine what that eligibility of that entitlement is, like in a yeah. dollar figure? Yeah, so it, the, the post 9-11 GI Bill has three different payments. It has a tuition and fees payment, a book and supply stipend, and a monthly housing allowance. The, the book and supply stipend is the easiest one. It will pay you up to $1,000 per academic year. And the academic year runs from August through the end of June every year, typical school year. Um, it's prorated based on your percentage tier. So if you're at 60%, you'll get up to $600 towards your books and supplies. That payment is sent to you at the beginning of every semester, right in your bank account. You can use it for whatever you need it to. Um, the primary post 9-11 GI Bill payment is the tuition and fees payment, and that goes directly to your school. It will pay up to 100% of the in-state tuition cost, no matter where you're going to school. Uh, if you're going to school in a, a low-cost area where the tuition is $2,000 a semester, it'll pay up to $2,000. If you're going to school in an expensive place, an expensive state school, where the tuition might be upwards of $25,000 or $26,000, it'll pay that amount. Um, there's a cap if you're going to be an out-of-state student or going to a foreign school. Uh, that cap changes every year. This year, it's a little over $25,000 per year. If you're at 60%, it'll pay 60% of that tuition cost, leaving you only 40% to pay out of your pocket. And then the third one is the monthly housing allowance. Um, that one is based on the BAH rate for an E5 with dependents at the place you're attending school. So if you're attending school in Boise, Idaho, your monthly housing allowance rate is going to be different than if you're attending school in Washington, D.C., where the BAH rate is, is, is much higher. So the monthly housing allowance is based on the average cost of living in the area that you're attending school. So there's no set dollar amount. Right now, the average BAH payment is around $1,700 a month. And then it's and then again, is it a percentage of that? So it is a percentage of that as well. So if you're at 60%, you'll get 60% of that monthly housing allowance payment. Okay. And that also comes directly to you every month. You get it You get it paid at the beginning of every month. So you mentioned in-state tuition, right? Yes. Is that mean, is that just for any type of college that you, or university that you want to attend? Um, or is it just state university? Like, can you... It would be for public university. Yeah. So public universities typically have a, an in-state or a resident rate for the people who live in that state and pay taxes in that state. And then they tend to have an, an out-of-state or a non-resident rate for people who live somewhere else and, and don't pay taxes into the system uh, in that state. Uh, and then, so the post-9-11 will pay the in-state rate if you're an in-state student, or they'll pay up to the annual cap if you're an out-of-state student. Uh, okay, so that's a key difference then, right? So if I'm, so I'm going to, let's say I'm going to school here in Virginia mm -hmm. and it's $60,000 a year. And I and I have a full eligibility. Then they'll pay up to if 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 you're an in-state student, it'll pay up to sixty thousand dollars. And then if I go across the river to Maryland to go to school, then you'll be you'll be subject yeah, to the out-of-state cap. 
have correct twenty five twenty five thousand. Okay. And that out of state cap is is very close to what the highest tuition for any public university is in the United States. Hmm. Um, that's that's how that cap has changed every year. It's it's very close to what the the tuition rate is for the highest universities. So let's say I don't want to go to a public institution and I'm trying to go to a private institution instead. What is does that impact? It, it does. The private institutions, all the students there would be subject to that annual cap. Okay. For the same 25000 it's a little over $25,000 this year. Okay, solid. Well, that, that helps me out. I understand that. So diving in then to, for guardsmen that have already utilized some sort of educational benefit, such as like ROTC cadets that had their school paid for, or you already obtained you know one degree using educational benefits, what other opportunities are there for them, or how does that look? Okay, so for uh, federal tuition assistance, cadets that get uh, ROTC, green to gold, or their tuition and room and board paid for, they do not qualify for the federal tuition assistance or credentialing assistance, unfortunately. Okay. Just on green to gold? Green to gold or the ones that get tuition assistance and room and board. Like everything, it's a little more complicated for for the GI Bill. If you're in ROTC, um, there's a couple of different scholarships they offer, and if there's one particular scholarship, we, we call it usually the Dedicated Guard or the Minuteman Scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you take that ROTC scholarship, then your first five years of service will not qualify for accruing that first 90 days of post-9-11 GI Bill eligibility. Okay. Um, for, the, for the other, the Select Reserve or the Chapter 30, the Active Duty Montgomery GI Bills, um, there's, a, there's a dollar cap that you can receive every year, and as long as you're under that dollar cap, you can still become eligible for those two benefits. Really? So, like, let's say you're in a position like, I feel like I'm like 80% of National Guard's officers or officers in general. ROTC, I came in, you know, out of high school with an ROTC scholarship that paid for my tuition, right? So now I've served, you know, five years in the Guard. What's the next, you know, like, do I qualify for any... Uh, so federal tuition assistance is a little bit um, different on that. So if you are an ROTC student, you do not qualify for federal tuition assistance. But let's say that you did participate in the program in the past, you got your bachelor's degree with them, you do qualify for FTA for a master's degree okay. on the tier two. Okay, yes. that, that was kind of what I was getting at. It's like, okay, if I want to go for another degree, do I qualify for stuff or not? Yes. It's just con- uh, concurrent use of the... Uh, ROTC benefits. Uh, so no concurrent use, but once I go to my for my next level of education, yes. it does apply. Okay, okay. Yeah, and on on the on the GI Bill side, typically your drilling reservists that are going to come in as as a simultaneous member the, under the SMP simultaneous membership program, um, where you're going to be drilling with a unit and going to ROTC. It really depends. If you come in on the enlisted side and complete your enlisted training you can be eligible for the Selected Reserve GI Bill while you're, you're doing ROTC. But if you're a direct accession, if you're coming in and you're going straight to ROTC, then you have to wait until you complete ROTC and, and uh, graduate from your basic officer leader course before you can become eligible for that. So then let's say that I'm using you know, one of the programs and I've slacked off in my studies a little bit, you know. Is there anything that I need to be concerned about um, 
regarding you know maintaining that whether it be gpa or anything like that yes so federal tuition assistance requires the soldier first of all to the three things that we talked about mm -hmm. we talked about the account on go army ed we talked about that he has to be you know in the guard yeah. um account and go army ed <laughs> <laughs> sorry no it cannot be on hold the account and go army ed cannot be on hold and he, the soldier cannot be pending a negative uh, action it cannot right. be flagged but let's say the soldier did not uh, complete a course, withdrew, got an F or a D, and an undergraduate degree, then they get recouped. So for federal tuition assistance, uh, soldiers that are studying for an undergraduate degree, whether it's a bachelor's or a certificate, they have to have uh, they have to uh, obtain a grade of A, B, or C. Okay. Ds and Fs are recoupable. Withdrawals are also recoupable. So if you fail a course, you will really recoup the amount of the course. Mm. So that's good to know. So if I fail a course, I pay the government back. Yes. And if let's say that you have a 2.5 GPA, uh -huh. the threshold for an undergraduate degree for FTA is 2.0. So if you fall behind that, uh, below that threshold, then um, you're not eligible. Mm. Your account will be on hold until you pay out of pocket and you get that that uh, GPA up again. Over 2.0. Over 2.0 for undergraduate, 3.0 for uh, graduate. So 3.0 for graduate. Yes. Okay. And for graduate degrees in FTA, the soldier must obtain a grade of A, a or B because C is considered failing course, a failing course for a graduate degree. So graduate degrees, Bs get degrees. Yes. Undergraduate degrees, Cs, Cs get, get degrees. degrees. Otherwise, you have to pay the government back. Yes. Got it. So, and what about? This is one area that the GI Bill is simpler. There's no minimum grade point average requirement, and the only time you're gonna have to pay it back is if you actually fail the class. Okay. The, 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 the Department of Veterans Affairs does a, does a couple of things, and these, these are subject to change, but, but currently, if you fail a class, they'll take it out of your next semester's payments if you're gonna mm -hmm. continue on. Okay. Um, the only time that they'll actually send you a debt letter is if you don't continue on, okay. um, and that's just if you fail the class. D's for the GI Bill, getting a D will set you free. <laughs> <laughs> now for credentialing assistance, it's the same as FTA. So if you fail to sit for exam, fail the course, or just withdraw from the course of instruction, then you will give, get recouped for that credential as well. So soldiers all have different educational goals, backgrounds, experiences. You know, what's your advice to how soldiers should go about deciding what kind of program they should use? So first of all, I suggest all soldiers to contact their state education office because okay. each state has a different state tuition assistance program. So they first have to know how the state tuition assistance program works, if it can be used with FTA, should they get a credential instead of a, a, a degree, mm -hmm. and if they can use the, uh, the, the Montgomery GI Bill or any chapter of the Montgomery So that So that state so that state education officer, you're like, that's your first point of contact? Yes, okay. definitely, always. We, we usually have a state representative and education service specialist in each state. Not Maybe not presently because uh, we're a little bit thin, <laughs> but we do have okay. uh, ESSs covering for each state. And each uh, ESS uh, education service specialist is a subject matter expert in all the uh, in all the programs, kind of. They can counsel the soldier on how to exploit or better use their education programs so they get the most out of their money. 
The VA also has a program where they do career counseling okay. uh, for anybody who's eligible for GI Bill. But in, in this case, this is one that I think that the, the Guard does an outstanding job with guidance counselors in the States. And I would highly recommend talking to your education service officer, letting them point you to a guidance counselor. And just go from there and, and, and figure out there. like, hey, how am I going to further my education? Because your, your, your state education service officer or guidance counselor, they're also going to know more they're, they're going to know the job opportunities that are available locally and the careers that are available locally. Well, and that kind of brings me to my next question. We all know someone who, like, you know, has a horror story of trying to use their educational benefits or trying to navigate it, and it just goes dra drastically wrong. You know, what's your advice to those soldiers as they're trying to get into applying for some of these programs to avoid some of those administrative pitfalls? Well, I think the first uh, step is consider really think about and draw your career map what do you want to do what is your goal in in mm -hmm. in go college is not for everybody and it's okay that we, that's why we have um credentialing assistance and we have all so many programs that can help a soldier begin a career once you map that career path that you want to mm -hmm. you want to follow afterwards you're going to say okay so maybe federal tuition assistance is not the path for me because I don't want to go to college, but I do want to become a private pilot and earn money that way. So that's when you say, okay, so FTA is not for me. I can use federal tuition assistance and Montgomery GI Bill to cover for those costs. And that's the first step. The first step is mapping your career goal, your career path, knowing where you want to go and knowing what it takes on that career field to make it to where you want to go. The GI Bill does help you pay for apprenticeships and on-the-job training as well. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're if you're not inclined to go to school, but you want to do typical apprenticeship and journeyman type careers like like electricians and plumbing, um, I've worked with people who are going to the state police academy and drawing their GI Bill benefits while they're attending the academy. There, um, those are all available. How? Is the GI Bill, how long do you have that for? Is it a period of months or years or? You get, you're eligible for 36 months of benefit okay, uh, in, months. in any one GI Bill program. Now that's not calendar months, that's months as the, as the VA pays you. So if you're only in school for 15 days in a particular month, they charge you half a month of your eligibility. Uh, so 36 months is typically what it takes to pay for a four-year undergraduate degree. Um, if you have any left over, you could use it for a graduate degree. If, if you already have your undergraduate degree, you can do another bachelor's degree. You could do a master's. You can go all the way up to doctorate with the, with the GI Bill. Um, if you qualify for more than one program, you still only get 36 months in any one program, but you have a lifetime cap of 48 months from all programs combined. Okay. So we have we have a number of soldiers who were on active duty and qualified for the active duty GI Bill, then they come to the Guard, they qualify for the Selected Reserve GI Bill, and then they become eligible for the post-9-11 GI Bill. They may have multiple programs that they're eligible for. In any case, they could use 36 months in any one program, 48 months from all programs total. Okay, so that's that's a good breakdown then. So let's say I, you know, I already got my degree, I don't intend to go for a master's degree I don't you know I my career set up I so I never utilize this benefit is there anything that I can do with that benefit then for the GI Bill one of the programs is 
we call it transferable. You can transfer those benefits to a family member. If you're eligible for the post 9-11 GI Bill and you decide you don't want to use those benefits, um, you, can, you can transfer them. And speaking personally, I, I did that. I transferred my benefits to my, my spouse and uh, she used those benefits to get a ma her master's degree from Johns Hopkins. Oh, wow. It's a great benefit. Um, it does require a little bit extra. Uh, in addition to becoming eligible for post 9-11 GI Bill, you also have to have served six years in uniform in any component, and you have to agree to a service obligation of four more years. Mm -hmm. So from the time that you request your transfer, you owe the military four more years of service. Um, but, but I have to say for me uh, personally, and for most people that I've talked to who've done the transfer, uh, the amount, not just the amount of money, but the benefit that you receive out of that transfer is well worth the four-year service obligation. Mm -hmm. I was able to send my wife to Johns Hopkins to get her master's degree. It was something we never thought would have been possible, and it wouldn't have been without me being able to transfer my benefit to her. So there are some time limits to using your GI Bill, um, depending on what, what program that you have. Um, if you've got the active duty Montgomery GI Bill, you have 10 years from the time you leave active duty in which you can use those benefits. So you can use them the whole time you're serving with some restrictions. And then once you separate from active duty, you've got 10 years to use those benefits up, that 36 months of benefits. Now, what if I'm uh, using the reserve select version? Now, if you're using the selected reserve, you're only eligible while you're currently serving. Okay. Um, the selected reserve GI Bill is, from, is to encourage people to be in the selected reserve. Um, so once you separate from the selected reserve, um, you lose that, that benefit. Okay. With the post 9-11 GI Bill, how long you get to continue using it depends on when you last leave active duty. So if you leave your last period of qualifying service before January 1st of 2013, you have 15 years from your last day on active, in active service to use that GI Bill. So if your deployment ended in 2010, your post 9-11 eligibility will end in 2025. Now, if your last day of active of, of qualifying service was after January 1st of 2013, your eligibility will never expire. You'll have the rest of your life to use those 36 months of benefits. And that's where the forever GI Bill concept comes from. Hmm. And that's and what was that date again? January 1st of 2013. 2013, okay. And piggybacking on his on his uh, comment, federal tuition assistance and credential assistance can only be used while you're in the guard. Yeah, while you're currently serving. It cannot be transferred to dependents. It's only for the soldier while they're drilling. Oh, wow. So then kind of shifting tunes then back to what you were talking about yes. with, with credentialing and stuff. Um, so credentialing assistance, and I want to go a little bit into that because it's a new program. Um, I'm very excited about this because, like, you, you mentioned the private pilot thing. That's one of the things, like, I, I did some training as a, as a high schooler, and I'm like, I, I'm very excited. I want to... I, I looked into it at the beginning of this whole COVID pandemic and uh, and the flight schools all shut down because of COVID, but now they're starting to come back, you know? So I'm like, I'm very ex interested to hear like how this program works. And So um, the soldier, the first thing they need to do is go to Army Cool website and it has over 1600 credentials listed there. Okay. And that's where you're gonna look for the credential that you need. You're gonna make sure that you qualify for that credential. Um, for example, uh, there are some credentials that require some experience. So if you are an 18-year-old soldier that ju just joined the military and wants to take the PMP, which is the, pro uh, mm -hmm. the project management um, credential, it, it requires, I think, five years of experience. Obviously, 
unless they were working since high school, uh, they do not qualify for that experience. So yeah. checking the experience required for that credential is pivotal. And then they have to go into Army Ignited. Uh, that's the new digital platform was launched last month. And how do I get to that? www.armyignited.com. Okay. And then you request that credential through there. It's an automated system. Councils don't even see it. So it's an automated system. It goes directly to Access Army University and they approve it. Um, you have up to $4,000 to pay for a credential every FY, every fiscal year. Oh, wow. So I could, Actually, like the PMP certification that you talked about for project managers and then the next year. And there's no limit of how many credentials you can take concurrently or sequentially. So if let's say you want to take, uh, let's you said the private pilot. Private pilot costs about $8,000 to $10,000 mm -hmm. to get that license. Well, what vendors or, you know, uh, flight schools have done is divide that training into phases. So phase one will cost you about $4,000 or $5,000. Army University will pay $4,000 that, that first phase. And then the second phase will be another uh, $4,000. As long as they're in different fiscal years, you know, yeah. fiscal year goes through um, October 1st to September 30th. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you mentioned a couple things like the, the pilot's license, the um, project manager certification. What are some other common ones that you've seen soldiers use that for or you know as a program manager would you be want to highlight for those that are listening today so commercial driver's license is one of the highest okay. ones um pmp which is the project management uh we see a lot of uh java plus in you know computer certifications oh, yeah. badges okay. and yes and, and apprenticeships as well um the private pilot is one of the most used ones. Now, one of them fell off the books this month, which is the USPA's parachuting. Um, it's no longer paid, but that's no problem because we have 1,600 other credentials that you can take. Construction management. Um, there are just numerous ones that I listed. So if you have soldiers then kind of tying back into both of these programs, if you have soldiers that are interested in pursuing any of this stuff, whether it be, you know, contacting their educational advisor and figuring out like hey what you know how can I craft the GI Bill to work in my benefit here for what their educational goals are or they're interested in doing some certifications and whatnot what are what are like the key couple key resources that you would want to point soldiers to um, whether it be websites or so um, I work mainly with three uh, different websites so for FTA it's goarmyet.com for credentialing is army uh, armyignited.com and Army Cool. Okay. So, on the GI Bill side, there's a great website called the GI Bill Comparison Tool. Okay. Um, it's on the VA's website. Just use your search engine and type GI Bill Comparison Tool. It lets you put in the amount of service that you have, what GI Bill program that you want to use, and your school or program if you're doing an apprenticeship and on the job training. And it will tell you how much it will pay for your tuition, your books, and your housing allowance. Mm hmm. And we always recommend to go to nationalguard.com because it, it has all the states listed and all the education programs for that specific state. Now, regarding FTA then, what are some of the service obligation requirements to use FTA? So enlisted soldiers just have to have sufficient time in service or in the Guard to finish that course. So if the course ends, let's say, 30 uh, September and they ETS 1 October, they're good. doesn't okay. matter. They have to have be drilling in the guard for that uh, period of time that they're going to school. 
Now, for officers, it's a little bit different. So for active duty officers, officers have to uh, complete a two-year military service obligation after, which starts after the last day of the course. And reserve officers have to complete a four-year military service obligation after the last year of the course. And that is exactly the same um, caveat for credentialing assistance. So they both have to have a military service obligation. The, it doesn't matter whether you get out as an officer. Let's say you have a two-year MSO, uh, which is a military service obligation, uh, after taking a course and you complete only one year of your military service obligation after you completed that, that $4,000 course. Okay. They, all, they will prorate that, uh, that recruitment. So you only have to pay half. So okay, I understand. On, so depending on how much time you serve of the time that you were supposed to serve, then they will prorate that amount. So just to clarify, you said for enlisted personnel, you just have to have time in service remaining mm -hmm. to, complete that course. to complete the course. Yes. For officers, you incur an additional service requirement of what's that period of time? It's two years for active duty officers and four years for reserve officers. So four years. So let's say I use my $4,000. For the private pilot license. Yeah, for the private pilot's license. Then I incur an extra four years time and service, service. obligation. Yes. Now let's say that you got out because whatever reason, life is, is you know, very cumbersome and Things yeah, yeah. change. We can't plan, you know, four years ahead. But let's say you get off on time out of uh, before you complete your time in service, then they will prorate that amount. So now you mentioned earlier you could use that credentialing repeatedly, right? So yes. does it occur an additional four years every time you use it? From the last course, last day, it will start. Okay. So let's say I used four thousand dollars in FY twenty, and then four thousand dollars in FY twenty one. And four thousand dollars in FY twenty two. I'm going so going going haywire. It keeps extending four years. So then just four years past the last one. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, there is one uh, thing for federal tuition assistance. So if you already have a degree, let's say you already have a an associate's degree, mm -hmm. you cannot go for a second associate's degree. You always have to go for the next level uh, tier, unless it's a certificate. If you have a master's degree, let's say you went to uh, associate's, bachelor's, and you get a master's, you can go for a certificate, whether it's an undergraduate or graduate, and you can take that certificate every five years. So let's say, for instance, you know, I have a bachelor's degree, right? But I want to get a certificate from Georgetown Youth as a legislative certificate program. Yes. So let's say I want to do that legislative certificate program. I can get that paid for yes. as well as like a master's degree. If not concurrently. Not so, concurrently. Yes. So let's say you want to pursue a certificate. So you can you can pursue a certificate of 21 semester hours every five years, whether it's an undergraduate or graduate. It doesn't matter the degree level that you have obtained already. Hmm. Okay. That's very good to know. Perfect. Well, thank you guys for coming on today and sharing a bunch of information. I know that uh, like it was a lot for me, but I think that it's going to be really valuable for everyone out there. Well, thank you for inviting us. Thanks for having us. If you would like more information on any of the topics discussed today, please visit our social media pages in the links below. Tune in to Leaders Recon over the next few weeks as we bring in today's leaders and pioneers to discuss their experiences and share their wisdom and help you grow as a leader. We will also be announcing opportunities for you to sharpen your skills and expand your toolbox as a member in today's Army National Guard. See you next time. If you like this episode of Leaders Recon, please don't forget to subscribe below and leave us a five-star review. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.